This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. Welcome, dear listeners, to another exciting episode of the Doctor Who podcast. You are listening to episode number 336, and in the camper van today, you have James. Hello. And Michelle. So welcome. On tap for today is something of a geek out. I don't know that we've done a, a true old-fashioned geek out for a time, so... so. Yeah, no, I don't know either. It, it's mainly because we're not yet ready to recall our 2022 predictions episode, and so therefore we decided to come up with something slightly different. So it's half a geek out and half something Ian and I recorded some time ago. Uh, but I know you just like um, recording off the cuff, Michelle, without any planning or any thoughts uh, beforehand. And so, Michelle, <laughs> what is it you've got planned to talk about in your unplanned geek out? Well, in our completely unplanned geek out, we have planned to, I think, look a little bit at some of the news that we have been seeing lately. Uh, mm. perhaps the trailer that has come out recently for season 22 on Blu-ray and a little bit of what we've been listening to or watching, but but we haven't even discussed what that is. So That still sounds pretty planned to me. Kind of half a geek out. <laughs> so it's kind of a geek out, yeah. Um, and and you, you mentioned news. Let's, let's talk about this first. Oh, um, right. And normally this kind of stuff wouldn't, intrigue me or even really register I have to say because every time you know there's a new era of the show coming up um, and, and casting is still uncertain or unannounced you'll hear all manner of ridiculous rumors you know um, William Hartnell is coming back to play the doctor you know mm. Billy Piper is going to play the doctor this time around it's David Tennant returning uh, to play the doctor now the 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 rumors have got a little convoluted. If you take a look on Twitter and various um, different forums and communications channels, the the actual rumour initially was that David Tennant was going to return for the 60th anniversary. And that kind of morphed into David Tennant is the 14th Doctor. And because people are reading all of this stuff you know, not necessarily in order. Nobody really knows what the original rumour was now. Mm. <laughs> so you can see how far removed from reality this this conversation really is. But um, let's, let's just try and break it down a little bit. Um, I believe that having a returning Doctor or someone who isn't going to play the 14th Doctor, let's say, is a possibility for the 60th anniversary. So you're saying that you think it is possible that David Tennant might come back and pick up the role for at least a, a few episodes. I'm saying that I think if you are going to use the 60th anniversary as a launch pad for the 14th Doctor, there's a heck of a lot that episode needs to achieve. And, and therefore, might it just be easier to cast somebody else, either a previous Doctor, and obviously David Tennant, Paul McGann are the most likely contenders, or would you not just do another John Hurt and, and cast anybody, you know, someone really big perhaps for a single episode possibly, or, or maybe even a couple of episodes? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, you know what, <laughs> I would, I would enjoy seeing David Tennant pick up the role again for a while. I love David Tennant's Doctor, I would really enjoy seeing Paul McGann get to get to do yeah. it uh, yeah, on yeah. TV. I think that would be brilliant. And I really, the more you, I think about that now, I love that idea, although I think it's unlikely. I also think it's unlikely that it'll be David Tennant, I, although I, I think I would certainly see him coming back for the 60th. He seems to be up for those kind of things. But I don't see there's any reason why you can't have a new doctor introduced and then you're you're saying you don't think it would be a whole new doctor because it's so long before we'd get a real series after that yeah timing certainly a factor and and also they're able to prolong the announcement of the 14th doctor a little yeah, longer yeah i mean i another one i don't know if it's rumors or or fact i got the impression that a selection process for the 14th doctor was was underway 
Um, it sounds like RTD is beginning to work actively on forthcoming Doctor Who, and I don't see why one couldn't select and, and cast somebody new as a 14th Doctor, even if you're going to do something with with returning Doctors for the, the, the special. It's too early, too early for me. Uh, <laughs> it's I think it's all a smokescreen. I mean, we're, we're talking about another year and a half. In fact, it's more than a year and a half. Where are we? We're just about to enter February 2022. The earliest we will see the 14th Doctor is in November next year. I, I don't think that it's too early because it is such a huge commitment for an actor to take on this role. You're potentially committing at least three years of your life or more to it. I don't think um, so. I don't think you are anymore. I think we've switched. I think the um, I think Flux has set the new mould. I think we're looking at six episodes, which could potentially be two recording blocks per year. I don't think Russell T Davies is going to come back for years and years and years, um, if you forgive the pun. Uh, I, I think he will be back possibly for one, possibly two years. Um, and I don't think we're looking at a, a guaranteed series comprising 10 episodes i think we are now at the most flexible point the show has been in uh, since 2005 and the potential to spring surprise is or surprise on the audience uh, has never been greater and i think rtd is going to do that <laughs> well this is not supposed to be our predictions episode but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I dare say that it will bleed over into the predictions episode. And um, yeah, I, I just don't think the next Doctor we see on screen after Jodie Whittaker will be the 14th Doctor. That is a prediction, Interesting. isn't it? That, yeah, that, that really prediction. sounded like a prediction. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, that, that I suppose is the most interesting news. And again, it's um it's a bit weird when you're reporting a series of convoluted rumours as news, but the whole idea about who's going to play the next Doctor is always fun to to mess around with and discuss uh, it on, is. on the DWP, isn't it? And, and, you know, when it comes to all these rumours of, you know, so-and-so is going to be the next Doctor or so-and-so is going to be the next Doctor or so-and-so is being considered, for me, that is mostly white noise that I completely ignore, partly because most of the actors' names that come up are not actors I'm familiar with. Um and so it sort of means nothing to me. But the yeah. David Tennant Roover kind of fell into that category for me of, of well, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, um. yes. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't be adverse to it. And, and, and I think also if you consider the fact that traditionally an anniversary show has been a multi-Doctor story mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and it's led by the current iteration of the Doctor, they're not constrained by that either at the moment. The show's been back since 2005. We've had five actors in the, you know, five actors playing a doctor since then. Mm -hmm. it, it's got enough traction now to, to shift around, you know, the timeline. It, it's not inconceivable, for example, uh, if Russell T. Davis were to cast Christopher Eccleston in a single one-off uh, episode. I know there's a whole load of behind-the-scenes tensions that's been widely reported on for the last 15 years, but... Anything's possible. I, I agree. That that much I would agree with. And I and I also am looking forward to whatever RTD comes up with. One thing I have been reading lately, almost coincidentally, is the writer's tale. Uh the the book that, that he mm. did with Benjamin Cook, where he was exchanging extensive emails. I'm really surprised by the the amount of time that RTD managed to funnel into this this writing project where he's just writing about writing and writing about his own creative process. Um, and I'm a, a cup is an enormous book. Um, I don't know how long it's going <laughs> to probably maybe I'll get through it by the time we actually see his yes, era Michelle, return. It is a big one. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the size of that one, James. <laughs> um, but to read that now as we're looking forward to him coming back is, is really fascinating to catch a glimpse into his creative process. And it, it makes me even more excited about what we will get because he will have all the experience uh, and, and all the time to kind of recharge creatively when it comes to Doctor Who that has gone in between those those times before. And so I, I recommend it if folks are back to thinking a lot about RTD. Um, it, it's fascinating. <laughs>
So moving back into the classic era and talking about the Blu-ray series, which is going from strength to strength. Um, since we recorded last, Michelle, season 17 has been delivered to me. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> To you and a few few other people around the world. <laughs> well, and yes, yeah, several others. Uh, I don't think it's been delivered to you, however. Have you got a Blu-ray player yet? Or are you still look, you know, using Betamax? As your main source of home media. <laughs> it's VHS, isn't it? Isn't it? Oh, VHS. <laughs> Slightly more advanced then. <laughs> no, you know what? I honestly don't know if any of my devices would play Blu-ray because I have never, I just haven't gotten into to, to the Blu-ray. Although watching this latest trailer made me wonder whether I need to, to begin to get into the Blu-ray just to get the special... Um, well, the added content, the, the yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean that that of course is not really specific to the Blu-ray form of media. It's just it's more stuff that's coming out when they've found yet another way to release the um, the classic episodes. Uh, and and the fact that you're saying oh you've not got into the Blu-ray yet shows how far away you are from understanding the medium. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I think you absolutely need to invest in a Blu-ray player uh, because these releases are superb. First of all, they, they save an incredible amount of space on the shelf, which is what everybody says uh, about the Blu-rays because you have an entire season in just over an inch or so. And yet the new stuff that they're producing is if not as good as the extra material produced when these episodes were released on DVD, better. Just having watched the the trailer for season 22, yeah. the extras looked really good. Uh, and, and yes, and that was, I, I appreciate the quality of video, but it not so much that I was going to go replace all my DVDs with Blu-ray. Um, you know, I'm happy to save a buck and watch something on standard rather than high def. I'm, I'm just... Not that finicky, uh, which is why I'd never, never bothered to get into the Blu-ray, but the Blu-ray, whatever you want to call them, Blu-rays. <laughs> You're not watching the video, do you? But if the yes, <laughs> but if the content is going to be as good as it looks, mm. I don't want to miss out on that. Well, so, you are missing out. There's no well, question you're missing out. This is the closest you're going to get to a remote convention that focuses on a specific mm-hmm. era of the show at any one point. It celebrates a whole season, so pretty much a year of a show. And this is why there's so much buzz uh, around the releases these days. Everyone watches these things and feels part of that era at the same time, regardless of whether you're watching it on your own in your in your lounge. And uh, that buzz um, that is being created is different to the buzz that was created when each story was released. So you're not just getting the media, you're getting the experience that is different and new. Um, and I have to say, just discussing stuff with Brent, for example, about Blu-rays by text fairly extensively is 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 fascinating. I'm really enjoying it. So I've I've just finished watching a season ten box set, which is you know <laughs> it was released ages ago, uh, but it's taking that long to watch the stories and all the new content on there as well. And um, yeah, I, I think you're initiation into the blu-ray uh needs to happen <laughs> soon um you've got i think it's, ten, it's either 10 or 11 seasons now michelle to get hold of will they do blu-rays of the early doctors well that's the big question um because obviously the whole idea of an incomplete set of stories uh, on the shelf is really quite alarming but the official line from Chris Chapman is that they're in discussions and I think they've been in discussions for goodness knows how long. It's very hard to think how they would do it, not just because the Hartnell and Troughton seasons had double the number of episodes the later series had, uh, but obviously it's much harder to produce the same kind of content or the extra materials, plus a whole bunch of them have just been released for animation. So, you know, it's pushing it a bit to re-release those ones already. Well, and I was wondering, my follow-up question was, if they did that, is there a chance that the animations that haven't been done could get wrapped up into a project like that? Um, Well, that I like, actually. uh, And that's actually a really good idea, and I've not thought about it before. When I discussed this with Brent, um, he has said 
that he thinks actually they'll just include animations of stories that have already been done. But if they're able to include it, so the only way you can get the animation is to buy the box set. Well, that will well, annoy a lot of fans for sure. But having well, then, said then that, I'd have to get into the yeah. Blu-ray. <laughs> You would indeed. So, but yeah, I think the Blu-ray range is going from strength to strength, and uh, they they're just getting better uh, at producing these uh, little things of beauty once every few months. I just wish they could release a few more. I think there's about two or three a year at the moment, and um, I'd like to see the uh, the uh, rate of release increase. Well, and I I do want to say that I really enjoyed the trailer. That I was impressed with. How professional. I mean, it was a beautiful little five minutes of Nicola Bryant and Perry and Rex, the <laughs> the guy that she's having conversations with, who, I mean, I want to hear the the Big Finish spinoff series now. <laughs> what that, of they, Rex? That well, has Rex as one of the companions. And the, the actor, whoever he is, was in Kablam. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. Mm. But but the it was visually beautiful. It was an interesting revisiting of Perry and what might have happened, not only with her and, and the warlord, uh, but also between her and the doctor in the aftermath of that. Um, and I thought it was, I thought, you know what, I feel like in five minutes in a trailer of all things, I got a more satisfying story than in six <laughs> hours of flux, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, no, actually, yeah, I, I would agree entirely. Um, it's Pete McTie who's been writing these new little shorts. So he's done the last few, I think. And uh, since then, we've had various different companions, classic companions, showcased in contemporary um, stories. So, you know, we've had Joe Grant and uh, Cliff. I can't remember his surname now. (laughs) From the Green Death. Uh, And uh, last time, we had Sylvester McCoy and Bonnie Langford. I I, I don't know if you've seen that trailer. I'm not sure I have. I need to go back and watch those. You absolutely do. It's excellent. It is really, really good. And if you like this one, there's no doubt that you'll like that one as well. But this is the stuff that is being produced and generating that interest that I referred to What what I know is that at the end of that five minutes, I wanted to go in the TARDIS and watch watch what happened. I wanted to know what happens next. So I don't yeah. consider myself usually that vulnerable to advertising. It's it's nostalgia. Yeah, and you're okay, just as you vulnerable go. and susceptible to nostalgia as anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly anyone in the camper van. <laughs> Well, having watched that trailer about Perry got me thinking, of course, about Big Finish. You know this because I immediately texted you and said, oh, 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 remember remember the Big Finish and the way the Big Finish uh, episodes and stories dealt with Perry. Even though I didn't buy the Blu-ray set yet, I did go back last night and listen to The Widow's Assassin, which is one of two blue, uh, Big Finish audios that explore what happened next with Perry and uh, went back. That was about six years ago, released in the monthly range. So uh, one of the things I listened to recently was was that one. Uh, it's both touching and and it's a humorous, lighthearted one. If you ever listen to it, listeners, you got, you got to expect that this is a lighthearted take on things. But running beneath that, there is a very beautiful exploration of how Perry responds to the fact that the doctor never came back for her. Once, long ago, in a land of monsters and corridors, a fair maiden was captured and placed in a deep sleep. She was used to being captured, and she had a hero who rescued her on just such occasions. Hello, Perry. Hello, Doctor. I, um, appear not to have been invited to your wedding. No, you weren't. But this time the hero never came, and the fair maiden slept on. Don't tell me. You've left another of your companions for dead, and you came to persuade me to rejoin you in your travels because you felt a bit... lonely? And still, the fair maiden slept on. Right at this moment, things are very pressing. I'll explain later. Not this time, Doctor. You'll explain now. Right here, right now. That's one of the ones I've listened to recently. What what have you been up to? Uh, well, well, first of all, I have listened to, to that story, not for a long time now. So Nev Fountain script, which mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The, the people who are familiar with Big Finish will be able to 
infer the kind of story you're going to get just by knowing who wrote it. And Nev Fountain has got a very, very unique style, uh, Monty Python slapstick Mm -hmm. kind of style. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I I wasn't very keen uh, on this particular story. I seem to recall it had Syl in it as well. Is that true? Just a little bit. um, Just a little bit. Just a little bit. It examines, you know, life after Yukarnos. But to be honest with you, Mind Warp is probably my least favourite classic story of the entire era, (laughs) the entire Mm -hmm. classic era. And um, I'm really not interested as as, as to what happens after that when you're forced to take Yukarnos as a serious character or think of him as a serious character when in all honesty he was he he made cardboard uh characters look substantial uh the way yeah well yeah yeah them. and i think that that was very problematic and and yeah. <laughs> pretty unforgivable for the production but um one very... of the ways they deal with it and it's not it really isn't a spoiler because it happens right away is that in that audio Yerkanos dies like seven days after after anyway, he dies right away. So 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 Perry is uh, a widow almost immediately, and you don't have to deal with your Kanos. He's not a, he's not a character. Um, but but in terms of what I've been listening to, um, I've I've had two two things. I'm absolutely captured at the moment by the Torchwood range, and it, and that's not um not the monthly range. Uh, they release uh, an hour's story once a month at the moment. Um, but I, I've gone back to when RTD got involved, I think, with... Um, I think it was Scott Hancock who um, came up with the idea of continuing um, Torchwood uh, from the end of Miracle Day. And they produced two additional series uh, on audio um, that was notionally Series 5 and Season 6 of... Uh, of Torchwood. Um, season five was called Aliens Among Us and season six was called God Among Us and I'm on the second volume of God Among Us at the moment. But each series has 12 episodes and I am loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. it it's been such a long time since one, I've been involved in the Torchwood world and secondly, it's been a very long time since Big Finish have had really large casts in a an epic story normally and i think lockdown has definitely impacted this they they have a much more condensed smaller story and a smaller cast now and when they do venture into stories with lots and lots of characters it's quite difficult to keep track of what's going on but when you've got 12 episodes and you've got an ensemble cast some of which you already know because they're in the tv version of torchwood and some other new characters that RTD has clearly, well, we, it's not clearly, he has helped create. They've really come up with something that's incredibly interesting to listen to. And um, I've binged Aliens Among Us. So that was 12 episodes, each of which are an hour or thereabouts in, in duration. And as I said, I've, I've, I've plowed on into gods among Mm. us as well and i'm I'm gonna say it and i'm not sure whether you're supposed to say things like this anymore it's wonderful to hear john barrowman as captain jack again because he's 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 identical um to the character that we saw in the tv series plus they've developed him you know Mm. moved him on Mm. in ways that you know only big finish and rtd could and it's it's nostalgic for me for for a number of reasons but yeah really worthwhile getting into if you've not listened to these stories before. Well, and I agree that it is great to hear Captain Jack. It's such a shame. He's he's a great character um, and well-played, and so I'm really sorry that things yeah. off-screen have, have robbed us of that, it would, it would seem. Um, but I will say that one of the reasons, and I've started listening to Aliens Among Us too, uh, but what got, I think, both of you and I into listening to this is that we had listened to – a couple of strong episodes from the monthly range. Oh yes, I mean, it's, it's, the tortured yeah. monthly range. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the tortured monthly range has been that is actually a very strong range. I mean, I, I don't think I've heard any real duds lately, and some of them are quite outstanding. The two most recently that that I thoroughly enjoyed was it the Great Santaran War. I always I might get that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Great Santaran War, which again has a comic thread through it with some serious stuff underneath, um, and and then Red List. Am I remembering? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And so it's the Red List one that had Sophie Aldred uh, as as an older ace, uh, much like we saw in the in the Blu-ray trailer for for 
that came out about her a while back. But Sophie Aldred, and then what's the name of the character? Mr. Colchester. Mr. Colchester. Played by Paul Clayton. <laughs> they are in quarantine in a hotel room, uh, and almost the entire story plays out in that context. And it, it's really good and very strong. But I did not know Mr. Colchester because I hadn't seen, I have not yet seen Miracle Day. And I said, James, who is this Mr. Colchester? I really enjoy this character. And he said, oh, well, you need to listen to Aliens Among Us. And yeah, said, not okay. Miracle Day. He wasn't in Miracle Day. Oh, so where was he first introduced? In, in, in audio? Aliens Among Us, yeah. He's an, he's an <sighs> audio companion and RTD had a hand in his creation. He's wonderful. Uh, he's a phenomenal he? character, absolutely. And so I too have begun listening to Aliens Among Us. I'm only three three episodes into the the first series, and so far I would say it's okay. I don't know that I am as entranced yet as you Not are. Yeah, but... you will be. I predict you will be. <laughs> okay, that's two <laughs> predictions in an episode that we're not supposed to be doing predictions there on. There we go. So you you are <laughs> way out of bounds. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, yeah, there is some really good stuff that is happening and has happened in the Torchwood range. I will just comment on the first story that you mentioned, actually, The Great Sontaran War, because mm -hmm. that's, um, I mean, it's quite fun just to give a brief synopsis of that. That is a, a Sontaran who's stranded on Earth and he's gone into hiding with a perception filter on, so everyone sees him as human, into a caravan site in Wales. And Yanto Jones is looking after him, is essentially his um, carer. And uh, mm -hmm. there, there's more to that statement than just me giving a synopsis, um, which you'll understand if you hear the play. But it's it's both simultaneously hilarious uh, and moving. Um, mm -hmm. I, it, the ending's a little bit mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. weak for me, but the, the, the journey is one of the best I've been on um, when listening to a, a Big Finish Torchwood story. And, you know, it's just over an hour long. Um, I listened to it twice. The second time my teenage daughter listened to it, with me as well and she loved it she thought the Sontaran was fantastic it was obviously played once again by the chap who plays all the Sontarans whose name is temporarily Starkey that's it Dan Starkey <laughs> uh, but yeah brilliant absolutely brilliant stuff and and how could something that is set in a caravan almost said camper van <laughs> not not be brilliant right oh well there you go Jack wants you to fulfill your mission to find out about humanity and report back to the Sontaran Empire. What could possibly go wrong? You have a cat. The internet is mostly about them. Therefore, I have acquired one for a search. Right, now, Michelle, uh, you may recall uh, a little while ago, well, I say a little while ago, it was a couple of years ago now, it became apparent that one of the campervan hosts is not like the other hosts of the DWP in as much as Ian has not seen and he still has not seen every episode available to watch in the in the classic era so not just has he not seen every episode there are some gaping gaps or chasms uh, in his viewing experience and uh, I think the three that we've seen to date and then discussed are the time meddler the Brain of Morbius, and the one that we're about to mm -hmm. present to you now, which will remain a mystery. But um, we've kind of created a, a small little series, which notionally I'm calling Debut Who, mainly because it rhymes and I couldn't think of anything else. Mm -hmm. But um, it's, 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 it's good, James. It's good. Thank you very much. It took me a long time to come up with that. Ian wanted to call it something about missing episodes, but I thought that would probably send people on a completely wrong track. It'd be terribly track. confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a little while ago, Ian watched a six-part John Pertwee story for the very first time, jumped on his computer, and he and I recorded his thoughts. And that's what we have for you now. <laughs> Here in the camper van, I have once again my my companion in time travel, James. Companion in time travel, I quite like that. I thought you were going to say my good friend, but I'll take companion in time travel, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> this time, we're going to carry on the sort of uh, featurette that we started off uh, in episode 318, which is to try and fill in some of the gaps in my back catalogue of Doctor Who. 
Uh, this time I have another story to talk about, but to slightly change the format, James has no idea what story it is. Mm. So uh, we, we discussed in advance that we we're going to do Time Meddler. This one, he's getting totally cold. So are you, are you a bit nervous, James? Uh, well, it could go horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. And, and do you know what? It's so hit and miss. I know an awful lot about some extremely obscure stories and very little about others that everybody seems to like and enjoy. Is there a story you're hoping it's not? Oh, yeah, I generally know less about the earlier episodes. So I'm hoping you've gone for a slightly later one, John Pertwee or uh, or Tom Baker, I think were the latest ones on your list. Well, well you're in luck because it's a Pertwee. Uh, this time we're going to be talking about that Pertwee classic, The Mutants. Ah. No, it's a container of some kind, Joe, from them. Time Lords? That's right. Well, aren't you going to open it? Oh, I'm not allowed to open it. Huh? I couldn't open it even if I wanted to. It's only meant for one person and or creature. Yes, I'm just the messenger boy. Well, can't you just refuse? Well, they only send these things in a real emergency, Joe. It's top priority. Three-line whip. No. No, I've got to go. How do you know where to deliver it? I think that has already been decided. Hang on, wait for me. I'm coming too. It's out of the question. Bound to be dangerous, probably difficult. All the more reason you need me to look after Sorry, you. Sorry, Joe. That's a lot of rubbish. Not this time. Au revoir. Oh, no, you don't. I, I do remember the mutants. Not much, I have to say. <laughs> um, well, actually, first of all, why is it that you haven't seen it? Is there, is there a reason why? Have you missed it on purpose or just... Just a coincidence. This this is a bit of an odd one because I literally went into this totally cold. One of the things I said about uh, the Time Meddler was for all I'd never seen it or even read the Target book, I knew basically what the story was about. I knew the premise. I knew what was going on. I knew that the meddling monk was in there because it was a fairly famous story. This one I knew absolutely nothing about. I didn't know the premise other than what you can obviously infer from the title. Yeah. I mean, I've probably read a one-paragraph synopsis sometime over the years, but it hadn't stuck in my mind. Okay. And I find that season nine is a bit of an odd season. Before that, you've got, you know, uh, Spearhead from Space and Inferno and Terror of the Autons and all these really big stories over there. And after it, you've got the Three Doctors and Planet of the Daleks and Colony in Space and, you know... There's brilliant stories all around, seasons all around it. But um, when I think about season nine, I struggle to think of any of the stories actually being particularly high. I mean, the one after this is the Time Monster, which is another sort of not exactly, you know, highlight story. Mm. So it just flew under the radar. It, it, it's it's a, and it's a story that doesn't seem to be talked about much by fandom. Although I've since have looked it up and discovered what fandom thinks of it. So yeah, it just <laughs> just flew under my radar, and it just, it just never came up to the the top of the list of things to watch. I, I agree with your assessment of um, of of how fans regard this, and and generally, you know, the the only thing worse is not to have any reputation at all. It, it's not the first story you would rush to review if you were going to talk about a John Pertwee story. And my memories of this are quite. Scan, I have to say. Um, all, all I, I will tell you what I do remember because that won't take very long, and, <laughs> and then you can enlighten me. I seem to remember that this is, um, it's set on a space station or a spaceship, uh, or largely. I think that's where the action starts, and there's a a fear amongst some fairly aggressive spacefaring uh, or, or a spacefaring community of. Um, Mutants, so creatures, essentially. Um, there seems to be a division in society, uh, which I think some people have compared to apartheid or a metaphor to apartheid in the past. I remember the word overlords being written on a sign uh, on, on mm -hmm. the spaceship in kind of like canine lettering almost. And I remember it being famous for yet another one of these very loud alpha male martial kind of characters <laughs> and and again couldn't tell you his name couldn't tell you the actor and and the only visuals i've got in mind is some some location shots uh which must have been either done on the quarry with some smoke um and then i seem to remember there were some sequences in a cave as well beyond that ian 
I really don't remember very much. Well, you're, you're more or less there. So you've got a space station that's uh, the Earth overlords, and then there's the indigenous people who are down on the colony. It's a six-parter. So, mm. you know, there was a bit of trepidation going into a six-parter. It's full of messaging. So the story was about apartheid, and in fact, from what I understand, originally it was written to be a much stronger critique of apartheid, but got dialed down a little bit. Right. But there's still very clearly a racial uh, segregation theme going on here with one trans map for the the Earth overlords uh. and a different trans map with the arrows pointing, and it needs just like you know on the buses and stuff with the arrows. So that was very clearly there. There's also a very strong message around. I mean, you could, this is post-colonialism Britain. And you can, and it's all about the colonial powers and what they did to these uh, countries and what we did to these countries. And that I, th- I found to be an interesting and powerful message. There's even some environmental messaging going on in there in terms of they're damaging the atmosphere and all the things that are going on is being caused by the Earth overlords. Uh, and I also got a little bit of class war going on as well because. Even within the overlords, you had the marshal and the scientists with their very sort of RP accents or German accents, strangely enough, who were being, you know, the typical, you know, who baddies. But then you've got the, the what would normally be the red shirts, you know, the guards and the people who run around, who actually become quite fleshed out characters and have very, very sort of chipper working class accents. And there's a clear difference. And in fact, quite early on in the story, they start siding with, with, with the Doctor's uh, people. And I thought there was an interesting dynamic as well, that even within the Overlords, you had a class barrier. So there's message upon message upon message yeah, in this story. Yeah, yeah. Far more than most Who stories get. Even of that era where there was a lot of messaging, they'd usually they'd pick one and they'd run with it. This one had quite a few. And what I was particularly impressed by was none of them weighed it down. You know, often the messages can come a little bit like a kipper around the face. Mm. And when there's four or five of them floating around, that could get a bit overwhelming. But actually, I, I mean, whether it was deliberate or not, I thought it was subtly done enough that you could take the message and you could enjoy the message, but it didn't get in the way of the story. And I think they were all like that. I, I mean, we mentioned earlier on, or, or, or I did, that it, it's not really spoken about very commonly within within fandom. and And, and yet... You recall when there was a whole load of disquiet with the last series of Doctor Who about there being some very heavy-handed messaging and the story suffered and, and people were saying, oh, do you not remember when Doctor Who didn't used to have these messages? You know, And the kind of thing that <laughs> I think back to is things like the Green Death, the Silurians, the Sea Devils, you know, and mm. uh, quite a lot actually from John Pertwee's era. But you don't really think about the mutants straight away. Um, and yet it, this is one of the, again, from memory, quite a difficult story to access because it isn't fun it makes you feel slightly awkward in terms of what's going on particularly when you realize what the message actually is and um, I I do recall this being a subject of perhaps a couple of panels at Gallifrey uh, that that kind of led um, in directions that fans kind of enjoy taking or some fans kind of enjoy taking when you use Doctor Who to demonstrate your view of society uh, on more commonly what's wrong with it and uh, the mutants comes up time and time again in those kind of discussions and essays that have been written on a subject it, as well. It was referenced in Salman Rushdie's The Satanic Verses. Well I didn't know that. <laughs> this particular story when he's, he's talking about people seeing those who are different as monsters wow. which of course is the whole point of the story so that's quite august uh, uh, referencing for it. Yeah. I have to say I mean yeah. what I what I do with the, whenever I watch Doctor Who of any era Afterwards, I go and read my discontinuity guide. And uh, if it's uh, of the right eras, I'll read Running Through Corridors with Toby Hedok and Rob yeah, yeah, me too. And what I was shocked when I read this one, which remember I knew nothing about, was how much they all hated it and how much they said that all of fandom hated it and said it was a terrible story and badly put together. And I was really surprised because yeah. while I wouldn't in any way say this was a standout, you know, classic I thought it was a really good, enjoyable, entertaining story. And in, it, it maintained my attention throughout the entire six episodes. 
And that's actually not a mean feat because mm. there's lots of six episode stories, even some quite well thought of ones that sag. And then, you know, how many times in the reviews have we said it would have been much better if it was a four episode rather than oh, a six yeah, episode? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people say that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought this one actually, it filled its runtime fine. The story changed, it evolved. It didn't just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. And there were some interesting things happening. How did you watch this one? Was it all in one go or one episode a day or? It, well, I watched uh, the first two episodes back to back one evening and the next evening I went to watch the next two but actually ended up just carrying on and I watched all four the following evening. Right. So I watched it in two sittings over two nights. Mm. Which which usually doesn't do a story any favours, it has to be said, particularly mm-hmm. one that was, you know, more than four episodes um, in, in the classic era. Uh, I, can't, I don't think of many. I mean, even Genesis, I have real difficulty watching in one, one hit. It's, uh, it, it's just too much of the same kind of stuff i mean the only exception i make is when you watch them as a community at the bfi or something and even mm. then i struggle sometimes uh but yeah I, I i have no real memory of an impact um being created by this story i i, I do remember i mean as, as you're talking about it i have to say it's a little bit like me listening to a podcast because i'm i'm <laughs> i'm not contributing very much but i'm i'm remembering things as you are talking about them so clearly those memories are in there somewhere and I do recall this being a slightly different story you know I've got absolutely no memory of any of the performances um, but I, I do have quite a clear view of that era so I mean you mentioned that the time monster followed this and I have to say the mutants and the time monster together were 12 episodes there because time monster six episodes as well of a very unusual kind of Doctor Who for a period of three months when it was transmitted. Then, of course, Time Monster was the last in season nine. And prior to that, you had The Sea Devils, which was essentially a rerun of The Silurians. And you could argue quite traditional Doctor Who, albeit with a very discreet message as well, or perhaps not that discreet. So if, if you take a look at the sequencing of the, these stories, I wonder whether there was a distinct decision to move towards subtext in, in their stories. I think it's a slightly odd period in the Third Doctor's era because um, they've clearly got bored of him being stuck on Earth, <laughs> but but they haven't let him go yet because we haven't got to, to the Three Doctors yet. So they're coming up with these contrivances to, to get him off Earth and to try and have these adventures. Mm. And this was a very contrived one because I don't know if you recall that the whole setup is that the Doctor is presented with a sort of a stone football, which is some sort of messenger capsule that he has to take to someone and that the Time Lords let him go. To, and he's being a messenger boy for the CIA or whatever again. But the thing is, it's never explained why. Yeah. because firstly it gives the rock to someone that has no idea what to do with it so after it opens up and they get the things out the doctor has to go off with a completely different person a scientist and then they figure it out so the person that it was addressed to uh, makes no use of the thing hmm. and then it's never explained well why did the Sarnods even care i mean yes they avert a genocide on one particular planet but that's not usually high on their list of things that they care about so it was, it was quite a contrived setup hmm. and so i think it, it does fall into a sort of a funny zone where they weren't quite sure where they wanted to take it and i think beyond past this they let the doctor loose again and you get back into more traditional stories and before this you have the unit family firing on all cylinders this is a sort of little bit of a no man's land yeah um again i I hadn't any memory at all of this rock (laughs) so um you've um you've made me think i really ought to go and watch it again now and then follow up perhaps on a later uh, a later podcast when i've got a little bit to talk about there's quite a lot of good hard sci-fi concepts going on in here as well the whole there's the this concept of the evolution of the, the the people on the planet and their 500 year seasons there's a lot, a lot of good science. You know, well, some of it's sort of techno babble. It's actually a relatively hard sci-fi story. There's not a massive amount of ridiculous, over-the-top action gurning or comedy. It's quite a straight story, actually. And mm. I think, I mean, I, I say, I'm, I was surprised to see the reputation that it has in fandom afterwards because I found myself enjoying it all the way through to the end. I was even there's um, the cliffhanger at the end of episode four where the Doctor and a couple of other characters are in a, a room on the space station and the evil Marshal 
comes barreling in with his gun, shoots this guy, and for some reason also shoots the wall behind him, blows the wall out, and the guy flies out into space through the hole in the back bulkhead. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it's, it's all done with CSO, and with modern eyes, yeah, it's a little bit ropey. I actually thought it was really quite good. I thought the ambition of that... Mm. You know, on the budgets and the effects teams that they had to actually try and show someone being blown out of a hole in the side of a spaceship, yeah. which is a bit of a trope in sci-fi these days. I actually appreciated it. I thought lots of other people say it's the most ridiculous cliffhanger in the history of Doctor Who. I thought it was quite good. And it was coupled with a scene of the rockets firing from the space station down to the planet. And again, it looked really realistic, lovely model work. And I thought that whole sequence showed a great ambition and I was willing to suspend my disbelief that yes it's obviously slightly dubious CSO and no they don't really look like they're about to be pulled out the hole as they sort of Star Trek their way across the room you know heaving mm. from side to side I thought it was good I, I really enjoyed this story I, I can I, tell I, I, I can tell and I'm, I'm I'm really surprised at what a negative view people have of it I mean just based on my memories again we've established are not good but i i think you know of the two stories that we've discussed that you've watched for the first time so this one and a time meddler of the two i would have almost certainly have thought you would have enjoyed a time meddler more but it seems not to have been the case yeah i mean, i've actually seemed to have gone opposite fandom in both directions mm. because the general view of the time meddler is it's a wonderful charming quaint story very meaningful and all the rest of it i frankly found it mostly quite dull this on the other hand and maybe the key to it is i went into this not even knowing what fandom thought of it i knew literally nothing other than the title mm. and that john john pertwee was in it and maybe that's given me the the, the sort of the, the the clear head to actually just appreciate in its own merits. Whereas if I'd gone in knowing, oh, wow, this is that famous clunker from the middle of Pertwee's era, I might have been a little bit less forgiving Mm -hmm. with it. I don't know. Okay, well, Ian, thank you very much indeed uh, for, for one, investing so much of your time uh, watching six episodes you know I, as a family man I know six episodes is something you don't get the privilege to do very often do you I bet you stayed up until something like half past two in the morning just so you could watch it I was up relatively late yes oh, well I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you and your observations and I, I actually quite enjoyed trying to catch my memories uh, that you you kind of reawoke as you were making your points um, which I know doesn't really make for very good listening uh, as far as I'm concerned but to be honest with you I, I i really really enjoyed listening to you so listeners i hope you did too um feel free to send in your comments uh, about uh, about the mutants or indeed anything dwp related to feedback at the doctor who podcast.com also very interested to hear about your experiences of watching doctor who for the very first time particularly if they happen to be old stories or stories that other fans assume you have seen um but i very much look forward to doing this with you again ian i have to say um i'm not not entirely certain we will have this as a regular format that i don't know what story you're gonna throw at me occasionally i think that could work really well i'm wondering no i haven't got your list in front of me and i can't see it so what is the highest profile what is the biggest episode that most people have seen that you haven't uh, off the top of my head, it might be the chase, uh, which is you know right. big Dalek story, and I've I've never seen that one. Um, chase is good. Chase is good. No, I, I can definitely talk about the chase, um, and it's uh, it's one of those old Hartnell stories where you have um, uh, almost six separate stories as opposed to uh, an overarching story. So yeah, and of course, immediately precedes the time meddler. Yeah, I mean, most of that era I haven't seen, to be honest with you. So that's why, uh, mm. yeah, if we can if we keep doing this, we're going to... And that's why I deliberately chose the mutants to alternate. Otherwise, we'll spend our entire time talking in the Hartnell about Hartnell era. era. No, fair enough. I know Phil has got a, a huge affection for the, for the Hartnell era. Um, anyway, listeners, thank you very much indeed for spending half an hour or so with Ian and me as we talked about the mutants. Please join us again very shortly for another episode. And in the meantime, bye for now. Bye, everyone. 
Well, thank you, Ian, and of course you, James. That was really nice to have my memory refreshed of the mutants. And I think I was much like you, James, that I'd watched it a while back and had some some vague impressions and memories of it. I remember liking it, so I, I'm really thrilled that, that Ian spoke so positively. I mean, I can't remember the last time I heard him so up about an episode. <laughs> kind of went on and on <laughs> all we had to do was show him we show him an obscure 1970s that, third that, doctor story and there that's you go. what it takes and and you know uh, james i think for for not having known in advance what you were going to talk about you acquitted yourself fairly well uh so uh, well i'm glad you said that um I, I did i did feel towards the end that i was thinking i've contributed nothing here apart from to say i don't remember in a number of different ways <laughs> Well, so so very much like a normal podcast episode. That that, yeah, that that's fine. <laughs> Indeed, I I did actually go and watch the mutants after I'd recorded. Oh, that so so okay. I want to hear then, having seen it, you did enjoy it. I did, yes. Uh, not to go into too much detail at this point, uh, but I did enjoy it as well, and uh, I did remember parts of it. There were others that I just had absolutely no no yeah, memory yeah. of, and um, the characters were all very blurry and generic for me uh, i'd forgotten jeffrey palmer was in it uh, and again he must have been in at least three three possibly four classic mm-hmm. stories um or, or indeed um, he was in voyage of the damned as well yes wasn't he? Uh, but things like that that level of detail yeah. uh, I, no way was that accessible to me after ian said the mutants well <laughs> well ian is not completely <laughs> unlike everyone else in the camper van because i still have a handful of classic series classic stories that i have not yet seen anyway I think that's about it for this episode of the Doctor Who podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We will be back next month with our 2022 predictions episode. And I think I think there's an episode of Who and Company about to come out as well that Michelle and I recorded with Drew and Brent. It feels like some time mm-hmm. ago now. What did we talk about? Was that it was a Dalek story? It was animated it, Daleks. It was animated Daleks, Daleks having fun as I recall <laughs> that must have been evil yes. of the Daleks then so uh, keep an eye on your feeds for that as well lots to look forward to from the camper van over the coming months or so uh, Michelle always fun to speak to you uh, it, it, it's always fun to get you out of bed nice <laughs> and early in the morning to record <laughs> yeah, yes thank you for that <laughs> and, the sun uh, has risen it's gone from darkness to dawn here <laughs> Oh, well, there we go. Progress, (laughs) progress, Michelle. So we will speak to you all again very soon. Bye for now, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Take care. brilliant stories all around seasons all around it this season i find it's a bit it's not season eight is it season nine isn't it this is season nine yeah I yeah sorry so, so, yeah uh, if i say season nine edit season nine into where i said season eight so i don't sound like a complete idiot uh, <laughs> um sure I'll you're gonna that. edit that you're gonna edit that to make me sound like a moron now thank you james <laughs> uh, just just what comes um, after season 12 yeah <laughs> I, I, I can hear that music already. <laughs> um.